And I'm so glad I made it to the 10 o'clock service today. <clears throat> you know, in the, in the earlier service, people were walking in, you know, an hour, actually in California, an hour and 15 minutes late. <laughs> and I am sure it's going to happen today as well. But aren't you thankful that you came? I will never forget this privilege today of worshiping together with our promise team. I will never forget this <clears throat> blessing. And I, we've had three chances together. You can preach this sermon for everybody here today. But, you know, I don't know if you realize that as we have singers largely from Egyptian heritage, but a band that includes people from Iran, California, Philippines, and other places singing, uh, praise, blessed be the name of the Lord in Arabic and in English and in Hebrew, Baruch Hashem Adonai, it's a miracle. It is a miracle that we gather here together and see one another as brothers and sisters because of the grace of God shown in Jesus Christ. Now, I want to say this at the beginning. Uh, we, we knew we were going to have the promised team here because the, the focus of the world has been upon the Middle East and upon Northern Africa over the past a number of weeks because of the political upheaval. Um, and that's continuing to happen. But this week, we hardly got any news about it whatsoever because what has happened in Japan has taken the forefront with the uh, devastating earthquake that happened, followed by the tsunami and the ongoing aftershocks and the, and the many, many, so far countless lives that have been lost, homes that have been lost. You know, in our church, we have many people here also of Japanese heritage. We have many missionaries. Our church has a long history of sending people to carry the gospel to Japan so that in our church we have many friends and family members who are in Japan. We've heard from many, but we also believe that God may have us to have some further response of standing together with his people in Japan. So this next week, Pastor Scott White and Pastor Chuck Olson are going to be meeting and this week, if you go online, we'll talk about what we hope to do. And next week when you come, we'll talk about that too, that maybe we can be a part of God's blessing, especially to, to some of his people and some of our brother and sister churches there in Japan. The thing that hits me is Psalm 46. It's told us that nations are going to be in upheaval and in turmoil. The earth is going to shake. But God is with us. We never have to be afraid. He speaks, and what He says will happen. And today we're going to think about that, that the Lord God who made heaven and earth, and for whom we pray that in Japan and across the that people will turn their faces to find hope in Him, that He is here with us. As I, as I began, uh, I thought I'd begin with a, a romance poem from the 19th century. Men, we don't read these very often. Alfred Lord Tennyson, mid-19th century, here's what he said. I hold it true, whate'er befall, I feel it when I sorrow most. Tis better to have loved and lost than never to have lost at all. Some of you are wondering, why are, they, are you awake? That, that's not the way Tennyson wrote that, you know that. Better to have loved it all. But I want you to think about this. That's why I started it that way. Because essentially the message we come to today is that sometimes there are moments where it's good to love 
and then lose. And that's almost unimaginable for us because loss for us is, is almost impossible to handle, even of little things. Uh, my assistant Tiffany can tell you that when I lose my keys, I try to be godly at those times, but I get so frustrated losing keys or your work or so many things. But when it is the loss of a person we love, uh, the sadness that we feel can almost be overwhelming. Don't you think so? I don't know if there's any sadness in this world greater than the loss of one who is loved. So how could it possibly be better to love someone and then lose that person in any way? And yet when we come to the words of Jesus, some of the very last words of Jesus, down in John 14 to 16, we find out that that's exactly what he says to us. It, was be- it is better for us to love him and then in some ways to lose him that never have him to be lost as he would speak to his disciples just before he was going to leave and go to the cross. Did you notice it as Amanda was reading for us? It's found in John chapter 16, verse 7. Uh, Listen to it. Jesus said, Verily, truly, I tell you. All right, those of us who have read the old King James, you know how we always had that. Verily, verily, I say unto thee. What's, What's Jesus doing when he does this? This is Jesus at the end of rather long teaching, pounding on the pulpit and saying, you people sitting up in the balcony, listen and and hear too. This dare not be missed. Truly, I'm going to tell you something that you dare not miss if you're going to understand something from God himself. What is it? I tell you that it is for your good that I am going away. That unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. This is Jesus saying in no unequivocal terms that it is better today as we gather here to be here with the presence of the advocate, the Holy Spirit, than even to have Jesus here physically with us. Is that possible? And that that brings me to the sixth article in our proposed statement of faith, uh, which we've called the story of our faith, uh, which which I've said is when we have the story of our faith, it's it's God's good news to us. It's what's found in the scriptures. And and this this good news at the very heart of it is, is the message of Jesus. The good news tells us about who God is. It helps us to understand ourselves and our world. And even though our world is messed up and we too, God has said, I'm going to remake things into a world where there's no tears or sorrow or even death. Well, we've seen the last couple of times I've, I've brought messages to you, a couple of the, the, the very central parts of that good news. Article number four is about the person of Jesus. Do you remember that? Those of you who weren't here, visitors, we thought about the beauty of Jesus being fully God and fully man and how that changes everything. Then last week we came and thought about the work of Jesus that he was born in history, into this world. People saw him. He came into a place in a time in this world. He lived a perfect life. He lived the way life is supposed to be lived. He lived the way you and I are supposed to live, but none of us have. But then in our place, his work, he died on the cross out of love for us, bore our sins on that cross. But in history, sin and death could not hold him. He defeated it through His resurrection and ascended to the Father, standing as our advocate before the Father so that all who are in Him are declared that our sins can be cast as far as east is from the west and our lives can be made new. 
I'm telling you, that's gospel. That, that's, that's good news. Now, only seven are applauding because maybe you're anticipating the question I'm going to be having. And that is when you're here in Southern California, sometimes when you talk about this happening in history, and you know that's very important to the Bible. And it, it has witnesses to his birth, his life, and, and hundreds of witnesses to his resurrection. Some will say to me, well, really, so what? Even if I believed any of that, even if I believed any of that, what difference does that make to me now? What relevance does the fact that God may have come somehow into this world, what relevance does that have to living life in, in Southern California right now? And it's almost as if Jesus anticipated that question in his last set of teaching called the farewell discourse to his disciples. Uh, he, he told them, yes, I am going to go. I must leave you physically, but I want you to know you're not going to be without me. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Yes, I'm good, you're going to see me leave, but, but you're going to see me again. Yes, you're, you're going to be leaving my physical presence and my love, but I will continue to love me. And if you read through John 14, he promises to his disciples an ongoing relationship. I mean, and the question is, how could that be? I mean, how can Jesus be with his followers even after his death and resurrection and they saw him ascended to heaven? And, and, and the answer to that, Jesus' answer to that, that, that I think has such incredible relevance to us as we gather in the name of Jesus today is, is his words of promise found in John 14, verses 15 and 16. Jesus says, this is what I'm going to do. I will ask the Father when I'm gone and he will give you another advocate, another counselor who will be with you forever. And what I'm talking about is the spirit of truth. Jesus is assuring his disciples that though he is going to leave physically, he is going to be forever with his people in a very real way through the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you, as we gather here as his followers, we believe that we are still united with God through the presence of the Spirit. As we gather here, we believe that the Spirit of God is among us even now. I am praying that we here at Lake Avenue Church may have a deeper sense of God's presence through His Spirit than we ever have. And I want to tell you today that when you leave this place, you are not abandoned. That according to the very words of Jesus, God goes with you. And it's so much that he says, it's better for me to go away so that he can come. And the way we've summarized it is this. God's good news is applied to our lives, is applied to our lives through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is one big topic. Do you believe me? So I've been thinking about what are the most important things that I can talk about. And I've decided there are just three simple questions that I, I want us to talk about. Other things will be on the, on the um, commentaries that are available online and be available at the, at the information desk. But the first question I want to deal with is, who is this? Who is he, this Holy Spirit? And the very simple answer that Jesus gives us is he is a divine person. He is one of the three persons making up the triune God that we talked about in article number one. According to Jesus' words here, the one who has been left to be with us forever is God. Now, there are many things that indicate this in the Bible. If you read through the rest of the New Testament, uh, the Holy Spirit does things that only God can do. He's even involved in creation. 
But according to Jesus' own words, you can see that that's what Jesus was teaching as well. Especially there in chapter 14, verse 16. I'm going to leave, but I'm going to give to you another counselor. Another advocate. Another. I was thinking about this. It's kind of like reading Lewis Carroll. You remember the Mad Hatter's Tea Party? When Alice shows up and immediately they turn to her and say... A young lady, uh, would you like another cup of tea? Well, she'd never had a cup of tea. And she said, how can I have another if I've never had one in the first place? Well, you see this. Jesus turns to them and says, I'm going to give you another helper, another comforter. There must have been one there before the Holy Spirit would come. And he's obviously, let me pull this back up, referring to himself. Jesus, who when he was with his disciples, had been their helper. When they had encountered difficulties, he had been there with them. He walked with them. When they needed guidance, excuse me, when they needed guidance, he was there with them. And when they did wrong, he was there correcting them. But now he says, I'm going to give you another one, someone else, to be there with you, to do what I have done. Now, I, I do say someone else, but I want you to listen carefully. That may be too strong. Do you have your Bible? Look at verse 17, the way Jesus puts it. I want you to look at this and be really confused. You know the one I'm going to be sending because he lives with you and will be in you. He will. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Um, Why don't you look as confused as you should? This is really confusing. He will come and be with you. No, no, no. I mean, I will come and be with you. And we could forgive poor old Judas there in verse 22. Judas says, but Lord, what are you talking about? Are you intending to show yourself only to us and not to the world? But Jesus doesn't, doesn't flinch at that. He just goes on. No, I'm telling you that if you obey me, you will obey my teaching if you love me. And my father will love him. Excuse me just a moment. And then we will come to him. And we will make our home with him. You see, now Jesus makes it even bigger. It's not just when he comes, I will come to you. Now, when he comes, the father will come to you as well. You say, what on earth is this? This one who is coming is somehow the same as Jesus, but different. Now, somehow the same as God the Father, but different. Just as Jesus was one with the Father, but different. How are we to understand this? We should all look far more confused than we do. And I'll tell you, the only way that we can ever understand what Jesus is teaching is the way our brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world and all through history have understood it. That God goes beyond our understanding, but God has made himself known as eternally existing as one God, but in three persons. God has never been alone. God has never been isolated, always living in relationship, but he has always existed as one God in three persons. And when we think about the Holy Spirit, we think about God who is with us. But also when we think about him, he is not just God, he is a person. And again, the New Testament, every time it talks about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit does what only persons can do, is intellect, emotion, and will. But Jesus' last teaching to us underscores that. 
I just I think I've got it now, Tom. Yeah. A healing, hopefully. That even Jesus' own teaching underscores that the Holy Spirit who is coming is a person, and especially the name that he gives this person. Uh, the Greek word is paraclete. It means one who comes alongside, called alongside to be with us, uh, to stand with us. And if you have a variety of English versions, it's translated in so many ways. Sometimes as comforter, sometimes as a counselor, sometimes as advocate, sometimes as helper. You know that any time you find English versions translating it in many ways, it's a very rich term that no one English word can possibly capture. He wants us to know that we are not alone. When God is here, all that God is is brought to bear upon our lives. Thank you, Lord. But the thing I especially I want you to see is the word that he uses is always used for a person. Never of a thing. And then Jesus just underscores that in verse 26. He says, I want you to see this, but this helper, and in Greek it is he, he, will be there with you. It, it, there's an extra preposition there that's not needed, or a pronoun there that's not needed, the word he. The helper, he says, who's going to come. I want you to know this is not just a force or a power like in Star Wars. He will be with you. And I'll tell you, don't you think whenever you're in a place where you feel lost, isn't it better, as I so often say, to have a guide than a map? I mean, if I get to go to Egypt someday, Lulu, um, and go to streets I've never been to before, I hope somebody from the Promise team will go with me and take me where they have been before. It's better to have a person there with us. And that's what Jesus says. Now, this matter of the Holy Spirit, you know, in our churches today, we talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. But the sad thing for me is that so often when I hear churchgoers talking about the Holy Spirit, we almost talk about him as if he is just a force, like electricity or, or nuclear power. I hear Christians talking about God's Spirit as being something that we can somehow tap into. If we hold our hands in the right way or, or pray with the right words, maybe we can manipulate this thing. But that's not who the Holy Spirit is. And in fact, the danger is found in Acts chapter 8. There's a man named Simon Magus, Simon the sorcerer, and he saw God doing all these tremendous miracles and work through the disciples like Peter. And he said, I want to have that power. I want to do all that myself. How can, I, how can I tap into that power? And you can read it. Peter rebuked him in no uncertain terms. He said, this work is the work of God. He is the one who does what he will. I was talking about this back in seminary one day. And I had one of the African pastors come up to me. And he says, this is going to help you. And see if it helps you. He says, there is such a difference in dealing with a powerful thing from dealing with a powerful person. He said, for example, if, if, uh, if you have a powerful thing in your home in a place like Libya, like a bomb, well, then you might try to tap into that power or more likely you'd try to diffuse it, right? But if a powerful person, if you're there alone in weakness, and Muammar al-Qaddafi comes in with all of his weapons and henchmen, you're dealing with something different when you're dealing with a powerful person. You probably won't figure out what to do with him. He'll probably figure out what to do with you. Now, I know that's a terrible illustration. I, I, I'm well aware of that. But you won't forget it either, will you? Because the person that God gives to us 
is not someone like a dictator. He is a helper and a comforter and a counselor. He is one who is there to stand with us. But this is something I don't want you to miss. He is not a force that we tap into or manipulate. He comes into us and helps us. He is not someone that somehow we have to beg to come in. No, Jesus gives him to us. He is God with us. And when we deal with a person, everything changes. It means we come to him and say, this is what, my God, I would love to have you do. And this person who knows what is best is a person who will step in to do far more than we could ever have asked or imagined, though he'll often do it differently from the way we thought he should, right? And Jesus says, it is better for me to go away so that he can come. In what way? Probably more ways than I could ever imagine, but but I've written a few things out that might be helpful to you. As God in flesh, when Jesus was here, he could only be with them. But as God the Spirit... He is with us and in us. Do you see that? As God in flesh, He could only be with them a little while. He was fully human. But as God the Spirit, He is with us forever. As God in flesh, He was present in that one physical and historic location. But as God in spirit, isn't it amazing that as you and I are worshiping here today, God is with us, but He's not just here He is with our brothers and sisters in Japan. He is with our brothers and sisters in Libya and in Egypt and in Sri Lanka and all over the world. This is what I want you to know. God himself is with us. And even though it may be confusing, this is what Jesus was trying to say. If it's hard to understand that that the Spirit is one with the Father, different but the same, one with me, different but the same, we, Father and Son, one with one another, different from the same. The thing I'm trying to tell you is when I'm gone and God's Spirit is here, God is with you. And I I don't want you to miss this as we look at this. The Holy Spirit is. He is real. He is a person. He is God. He is here in this place. And when He leaves, He goes with you. He goes with you. Now, oh, the time goes so quickly. If that's true, how do we receive Him? How do we receive God into ourselves? And the simple answer is, as I understand Jesus' words, when we have Jesus, we have the Spirit. Jesus never conceived of His followers not having God present with us. Those who are His followers will receive the Spirit. He had to go through the cross, uh, dying for our sins, so that we unholy people could have the Holy God dwelling within. But after He had finished that work on the cross for us, then the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the Jewish people in Pentecost on Acts chapter 2. And everybody knew it because of the miraculous language changes, tongues or, or, or hearing or whatever happened there. It was miraculous that happened. And Jewish people thought, well, of course, if this is really from God and this is Messiah, then if we follow Him, God will give us His Spirit. He promised that in the book of Jeremiah. But what about other followers of Jesus? Acts chapter 8, Samaritans, sort of the half-breeds. They were there, believed on Jesus. And do you know what happened? Just like Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell upon them 
And everyone knew that the same spirit who had come upon Jewish followers of Jesus were now among Samaritan followers of Jesus. Okay, they have a little bit of, of our blood in them. But not about those others. Not about those, you know, Waybright type, Gentile type people. Acts 10 and 11. Peter goes to Cornelius' house. All Gentile people, they believe in Jesus. And you know what happens? The Holy Spirit falls upon them and comes up to them as well. They're in the family too. Now there's only one little splinter group left. The followers of uh, John the Baptist. Well, they didn't quite know what they'd do with Jesus. They meet some of the disciples of Jesus and they, they're asked, did you receive the Spirit? Well, no. They received Jesus and the Spirit of God falls upon them as well. And from that point on, when the Spirit of God was obviously upon and within all who follow Jesus, the New Testament just takes it for granted that all of us who follow Jesus have God's Spirit dwelling within us. I'll, I'll show you one place. Galatians chapter 3. Uh, Paul, was, um, Paul was talking to these people who thought, yes, you have to believe in Jesus, but we also have to work, too, to do this. And that may have even been do some works to get the God to come into our lives. Look at what he had to say. <laughs> you foolish Galatians. How would you like me to preach like that? Sometimes you've got to talk like this, I think, or people don't listen. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. He completed the work there. So I would just like to learn one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Those are our options. It is the latter, you know. Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of your own efforts? And then, as a church gathers like this, in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he wants us to know that when we follow Jesus, all of us have the Spirit, and that all of us have been gifted by the Spirit. The Spirit pours out spiritual gifts on us so that we can minister to one another and, and bring glory to Christ. And Paul wants us to know that all of us have that. 1 Corinthians 12, 6 and 7. Now, there are many different kinds of working of God's Spirit. Mark that down. But in all of them, and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. See, this is another thing I don't want you to leave here without knowing. If you have trusted Jesus... You have the Spirit of God living in you and living with you. And, and, and you say, but I don't have the same emotional response as others do. I tell you, the Spirit of God makes Himself known in so many ways. And the gifts that He gives are so different. It's not that we have to beg Him. It is that when we trust Jesus, Jesus says, I give myself to you. In fact, it's better than if I were physically present with you. I give to you my very spirit. I just want you to know that when you have Jesus, you have the Spirit of God. Finally, all right, when the Holy Spirit comes in, what does he do? Now, you see an answer up here already, but I keep thinking the real answer is he does whatever he wants. After all, he's God. <laughs> Right? He'll do whatever he wants. It will always be consistent with God's word. It will always be consistent. 
But the answer that Jesus gives is basically he will compensate us for the physical presence of Jesus himself. But again, Jesus would say, I want you to know it will be a better way than if I were there worshiping with you at Lake Avenue Church today. Um, In Article 6, we've tried to summarize uh, what the Holy Spirit does. And here's what we've written. We believe that the Holy Spirit, in all that he does, Oh, see, I thought this thing is just all trapped up here. Tom, help me out. Oh, there we go. Okay. I'm going to stop wearing this coat. Uh, We believe that the Holy Spirit, in all that he does, glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. And, And that meaning of that word is reflects all that he is. Manifests his nature and his presence and his character. He convicts the world of its guilt. He makes sinful people alive to God through faith in Christ. And through the Spirit, they are baptized into union with Christ and adopted as heirs into the family of God. He also indwells us, illuminates us, guides us, equips us, and empowers believers for Christ-like living and service. Now, you know, if I try to go through all of that, we'll be here for a long time, won't we? So let me just think through a couple of things that when the Spirit of God is in your life and in our church that he will do. Number one, he will make God real to us. Repeatedly, that's what Jesus would say. I'm going away, but you need to know that God is there and the Spirit of God will come. You can't handle John 16:12. Jesus said, you can't handle or bear all that I have to say. But the Spirit of God is going to come to you and he will guide you in his time and in his way in, in his, into truth. He will not speak on his own. He will bring glory to me by taking what is mine and making it known to you. He he will continue to do his work of teaching us and leading us. So I, I simply want to say that when God is present, the Spirit of God will be here to make known that God is real and that he is here. And if that's true, I also want to say is, That when I see the way that Jesus worked and the Spirit works in the Bible, you and I should expect the unexpected. He will not fit into our boxes. He will do things more than we could ever anticipate. Sometimes it will be times of miracles, healings, or working. Sometimes it will be like Acts chapter 2, where when the Spirit came, there were miracles that happened. Sometimes it's going to happen in, in another kind of miracle, in knitting us together. One of the works of the Spirit is to unite us in the family of God, to baptize us into one family of God. So sometimes you're going to know that the Spirit of God is here at Lake Avenue Church. When you see and experience um, a hillbilly from West Virginia preaching in Southern California, that's pretty miraculous right there, singing singing, singing with people from Egypt, in, in Arabic and singing Hebrew with people playing from Iran and from the Philippines and people in the church from Korea and Vietnam and, and China and Sri Lanka. And in, when you see something like that, which most of the world will say that will never happen. And us knowing one another as brother and sister in Christ, you will know that God is here and that the spirit of God is at work. It's a miracle of God's power. one of the reasons that I have prayed so much that we would learn to find ways to worship together because when, when it happens the world sees and is convinced that God is real so he's going to make God real to us number two he'll also be involved in the whole process 
of us and really others coming to faith in Jesus. I just have to add this because the Bible tells us that on our own, apart from Jesus, Ephesians chapter 2, we're dead to God. Which brings up a real problem for us. How do dead things make themselves alive? That doesn't happen, does it? Dead things don't have the power to do anything. And yet here we are saying that we know God is our Father, alive to God. How did that happen? The Spirit of God has been at work from the very beginning on. The Spirit of God, according to Jesus, is at work convicting us of, of the guilt of our sin. And that when we've lived for ourselves, that that's not right. And that He is right. When that happened to you, it was God's Spirit starting to do His work in your life. The Spirit of God is at work then whenever we hear the message of Jesus. And one time we heard it, it made no sense to us at all. And then one time we heard it and we said, I don't understand at all. But there's something true and real about that. When, when you begin to find yourself coming alive to God or a friend who at one point just was a, an absolute atheist one day wanting to hear nothing of the gospel and the next day starting to be interested, it is the Spirit of God at work. The Spirit of God is work when, when we give testimony to. And He says we must testify. And we say, but I do it so poorly. You know, I'm so weak. God says, go out and speak as one speaking the very words of God because I go with you. But He's not just empowering our words. He works in their hearts. He's on our side, convincing them of their sins and drawing them to Himself. I just want you to know that it is His work. And this is why uh, um, our responsibility is simply to be faithful, to be testi uh, testifiers of Jesus. Uh, the, so my responsibility as your pastor is simply to be faithful to opening this word. And then he says, when you're faithful to it, I'll empower it through my spirit. And I'll do my work in the lives of people. And uh, he will take us, because, Ephesians chapter 2, we were dead. Therefore, it had to be by grace that we are saved. God's, God's work, not ours. Uh, through faith, we have to place our faith in him. But unless we boast about that, I did it and he didn't. That is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. In case anyone showed up at Lake Avenue Church and was boasting. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. So I want you to know that the Spirit of God is at work. Praise be to Him in every aspect of us coming to Jesus. And then the third final thing I just want you to know is that the Holy Spirit is also central to God completing His work in us. Because uh, we're promised that we are, before He is done, you and I are going to be complete conform to the image of Christ. How on earth is that going to happen? I want you to know there's no part of our growth that happens apart from God doing it in us. How does that happen? You, uh, I open up this word, and, and the word that we use is illumination. Uh, one text that we had read a few years before and bore it out of our minds, we open that up, and it's as if God is speaking to me right now. Have you ever had that happen? Yeah. It, it's the Spirit of God at work. My, my joke sometimes is some of you will come through and it's been happening in this series. Pastor Greg, um, I don't know what's happening, but you're preaching better these days. Maybe, maybe they're just hoping. They're just hoping I'll be better. And I pray it's true. I, I pray it's true. I know that you have to spend a long time listening to me and I, and I pray that I can do that well. But it's not my eloquence at all. Um, when God speaks to you, it is the Spirit of God making this, the Word of God, alive to you. And that is a significant part of growth, that we come and hear this word together. And the other place of our growth is what we're having now 
Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, he brings us into a family so that together, he says, it's like ligaments in a body working together. Each one becomes strong as they interact with one another. But even that happens through the spirit of God, because what happens is we receive the spirit and he pours out uh, gifts upon us. All sorts of different kinds of gifts. The Bible has different lists. None of them are the same. He gives us what we need and he says, now you've got to live in that family together. You've got to worship together. You've got to serve together. You've got to pray for one another. And together, my spirit is going to do his work through you. But you're all going to have different gifts. Uh, some of you say, I don't have gifts like uh, <clears throat> of preaching or teaching. And I say, would you like to have a, a body that only has one body part? If, if everybody had that gift, it would just be like this is one big mouth. It's kind of a grotesque thought when you think about it, isn't it? But we're going to be a whole body interacting with one. We need you. And you need us uh, to pray together and to serve together and to worship together. And it's all, all the work of God's Spirit. And when He's done with us, He says, believe me, I am going to bring to completion in your life and in this church what I have started in you. And I've been praying so much in the last months, really, that I, as your pastor, may be much more sensitive and open to the working of God's Spirit. We do a lot of strategic planning, and that's important. It's a part of God's gift in us. But I'm telling you, His plan might be so different from anything that I strategize. So I'd like to ask you to pray for your pastor, that I would be open to and empowered by God's Spirit when I open this Word. And I will pray for you, and we should pray for one another, that we would be characterized as a church body where when we gather, we know God is here in us individually, in us all, and open to His leading and working whatever He may want to do. Because Jesus said, I am going to go, but I love you. And it's better for me to go so that the Spirit of God can come. And He has come. And He has come to you and me. If you receive Jesus, He lives in you and me, and when you leave this place, he will go with you and me. Now, the time is gone. What do I want you to take home? One, I never want you to forget that when you leave this place, you're not abandoned. I'll not leave you as an orphan. God is going to go with you, and I pray that you will learn to count upon God's presence. Some brothers and sisters who have gone before us in other parts of the world have said what we need to learn to do is to practice the presence of God. Which means sometimes we need to pull aside from all of that activity and the hectic lives we live. Shut off the phone, stop doing the texting for a little while and say, Father, you are here. What would you say to me? Sometimes in the midst of a temptation where you've given in over and over again, I want you to stop and recognize the Spirit of God is in me. Lord, I fail every time I try to fight this. I know you are here. Empowering this decision to be different from those I've made before. I want you, when you go from here, to count on the presence of God's Spirit going with you. But then, second, I want you to come back here again. The next time we worship together, I pray that you'll come back here again. Because the Bible tells us that even though he dwells in us, there is some, I, I don't fully understand it, there is some special sense of God's presence that we experience when we gather together with all of his people. 
book of Ephesians says, we together become the dwelling place of God, the building in which God lives. And I've experienced this many times, have a hard week where God seemed to be so far away. And then I come into church. I'll tell you, the promise team starts singing. My heart starts, the hardness starts to open up. I start singing. And then I begin to realize, I believe this. I am a believer. God is with me. This is true. This is real. Have you experienced that? We need that with one another. That's why God tells us not to forsake coming together. Because when we go from this place, though He goes with us, sometimes He seems to be far away. When we come back here together, we focus our attention as His children upon our Father. And He says, I am here and I am real. And you are mine. So I I want you to make that commitment. Not just to go, knowing the presence of God, but to come back. So that that presence of God might be something that you are more and more certain and confident of. And are able to live in the light of that presence. And then finally, I I just want to make sure that everybody who comes today goes with some hope. Now if if you say you come in knowing that you're engaging in sin and you're just going to stay in that sin, I'm not talking to you about hope. You need to give that back to God. And I'm praying right now He will convict you of your sin. I I pray that that will happen. But where we say, yes, I'm convicted, and week by week I give this back to you, I want you to go with hope. That first of all, forgiveness is real because Jesus had to go through the cross. I have to go for you. Otherwise, your sin could never be atoned for. So He is ready, if you bring that to Him, to confess your sins to Him now, to cast it as far as east is from the west, and to cleanse you from all that is not right in your life. So I want you to know that. But if you go out and you face the same temptations that you faced before, I want you to know that God goes with you. Never give up. He does not give up on you. And He promises that through the presence of His Spirit in you, tomorrow can be different from yesterday. The pattern is you come in, renew that commitment, go out, face the struggles, come back in, renew that commitment, go back out in the presence of God God will keep doing His work until finally His work is done and you and I, hallelujah, are complete in Christ. Remade in the image of God. See, what I'm getting at, the Holy Spirit turns this message of of God from simply being a message that was delivered back in the first century as Jesus was here into a present reality. Do you see that? That's why I think Jesus, if he were here and were speaking to us, would say, listen, here at the Lake Avenue Church, if you had the choice this morning of having me present with you, teaching you, or having your pastor opening this word and teaching in the power of the Holy Spirit, opening up your minds to understand and to hear the voice of God, wise is the person who would choose the latter. And that's why Jesus would say it is better to love him and then lose him. Because we really haven't lost him, have we? In the coming of the Holy Spirit, God is with us. He will not forsake us. He will go with us to his glory. Amen. Amen.